We read about the martyrs for Christ in Revelation 6, verses 9 to 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them, that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Welcome to Souls Under the Altar, a program that reviews the stories of God's persecuted from the past and the present. Your host for this program is Etienne McClintock. Dear listener, greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for joining us on the program again today. I'm delighted to have your company. In the studio, I have a special guest. He's not a newcomer to 3ABN Australia Radio, and that is the CEO for Voice of the Martyrs, Tony Benjamin. Tony, welcome again to the program. Thank you, Etty, and thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be here with you. Look, it's a pleasure for me to have you as well, and I always look forward to our discussions after you've been around the world and looked at what our dear brothers and sisters in Christ are having to put up with around the world in those restricted countries. Now, you've just recently done a trip through into Turkey, which links into the work that goes into Iran. And Iran, obviously, one of the top persecuting countries in the world. So I'm looking forward to having you share your stories and the work that you are doing in those countries there. Sure, not a problem. Um, look, Turkey is quite an interesting place. Uh, my impressions of Turkey were that it would be far more restricted than mm. what we actually experienced. Okay. And uh, what we actually found was a country more um, synonymous with being in Europe. Right. And that was quite interesting because Turkey is probably one of the only countries that allows somebody to change their faith. If they were born Muslim and they become a Christian, they can actually change their ID, which Mm. I found quite unique because most, almost all other Muslim countries do not allow that. Wow, that's interesting. So that is obviously the, the, the constitution that allows that. But within Turkey, are there areas that are safer for Christians than other areas? Are there pockets like you find in some countries, say like India, for example? Yes, you do. Um, the north of Turkey, I believe, is not as um, liberal as what the other parts of the country are. Okay. Uh, we we spent some time in Ankara, and then we mm. went to a place called Eskashir, and people were pretty accepting of Christian people there. And you have to remember that the Christian evangelical church is very, very small there. Mm. I think they only have about 15 evangelical churches there in the whole of Turkey. Wow. And there are no Christian schools for Christian students there. Mm. So if Christian students want to attend a school that's not teaching the Islamic principles, they have to go to an international school which has got no Christian agenda or teaching at all. Right, so it's a secular school. Secular, fully mm. secular. And they would then have to rely on either Sunday school, church, um, or the weekly groups or whatever to get their Christian teaching from them or their, mm. their homes, you know. Yeah. Well, so in in, um, in Turkey itself, the Christian church there, is it growing? Is it declining? Uh, do you have a, a bit of a feel on, on how it's how it's working there? The church is very small, but it's a growing church. Okay. And the demand for more Christian influence and literature and support, more so I would say, is constantly growing. Okay. Um, the good thing that we found was that the Christian church is growing through a lot of ex-Muslims or Muslim background believers. 
okay. who have become pastors, started the church, growing it, and see the importance of building on it. Now, as in any other Muslim country, you're not allowed to convert locals. So it's it's a dangerous affair when uh, non-Turks try to do that, mm. you know. So Muslim background believers who are Turks seem to find it a little bit easier, but it is very dangerous. Right, okay. So if you're a local and you speak to someone about your Christian faith, if you've been a Muslim, if they convert, that is safer than someone who's, say, a foreigner coming in there and then sharing their faith and someone converts? Correct, yes. We just have to go back to what's happened with Andrew Brunson, yes, the American pastor that was in prison. Mm. And, um, yeah, but remember that in the case of Andrew Brunson, he's been in Turkey for many, many years. Right. So he was allowed to function, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But converting uh, locals is is a big challenge for the foreigners mainly, yeah. Mm. So the work that you're doing in Turkey, is it mainly focused on Turkey itself, or do you use that as a platform to work into other areas? We do use it as a platform. We are working in Turkey at the moment. We work mainly with children and young adults. Um, We work on providing them um, with a Christian education, but also... Children, Christian children in Turkey, no matter where they function, they're still in the broader society. Christians make up 0.01% of the population. It's an Islamic country. So even if you add the government official Orthodox Turkish churches to that percentage, Mm. you only end up with 0.03%. Right, okay. So the 0.01 churches um, and the children there don't have many, many resources because of the sparseness of Christians. So um, we help them with that. We support ministries there that do children's camps, Christian camps. Mm. And from our recent visit, the Christian camp directors are getting a lot of Muslim children whose parents allow them to come to the camps because of the the values that they that they um, display there mm. and the Christ, basic Christian values. And many of those children are coming to Christ, although their parents are Muslim. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Look, I, I think it's so important to invest in children. You know, um, the Bible says there in Proverbs, I think it's 22 verse 6, it says, Train up the, a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart, depart from it. Correct. But if they have secular influences, they have other religious influences which aren't Christian, yeah. obviously if we're looking at the future of our church and we're looking at developing leaders, because it doesn't take yeah. kids long to grow. You know, 15, 20 years, they're, they're adults, you know. Um, investing in them and doing these Christian camps and having that Christian Influence is vitally important for the church now, but also for the future. What the church is going to look like in 15, 20 years from now? Look, I believe it's certainly important to try and change a generation. And mm. with working with children, we're influencing them at grassroots level. And I think good influences. Yes. And I think that's, that's very important, especially in places like Turkey, where the challenge is not going to become easier. It's going to become harder. Mm. So we're giving children or young adults the opportunity to understand what they're facing out there currently, mm. but but also what they're likely to face yes. as they go out into the big wide world of Turkey and share their faith or even get known to be a Christian and different what they need to face out mm. there. Yeah. So there's still a cost to be reckoned into becoming a Christian even in Turkey, which is more free than a lot of the other Muslim countries? Yes, there is. It's Look, it's still a challenge. It's still a challenge. They need to be mindful 
Uh, one of the places we went into, we needed to be, be really, really careful as to how loudly we sang and who was outside and all these sorts of things. So it's still a challenge. Being a Muslim country, it's still a challenge. Mm. But I guess acceptance, if you're only 0.01 or 0.03% of the population, uh, there would be some elements of marginalization in that as well. So in, in, in regards to you, way you interact within the community, within your working environment, those would all be challenges, I'd imagine. Yes, they definitely are. Yes, mm. they definitely are. They're not at the stage where they dealing with a lot of hardliners as such, certainly in the areas we went into. Okay. But that element is always and ever present. Mm. Mm. Wow. So you're focusing on development for children. I'm so excited to hear about this because we can just look at the, the change in Australia from the 2010s to the 2015 census. 60% 60% of the population in 2010 said that they had a Christian affiliation. They considered themselves Christian. Within five short years, we went from 60% down to 52%. We lost 8%. So, I mean, in a short period of time, you can see how things are going to get eroded. And we were just talking about it before we, we started the interview, how Christians are to be the light of the world. They are to be the salt of the earth. But if we don't speak up, we don't defend and stand up for principle and for godly principles and righteousness and truth and all those things, then what happens is society is actually influenced by other factors. If we're not influencing them, what's going to influence them? Well, exactly. it'll, be, it'll be the other side. So very important to have that foundations built with the children. So thank you for sharing that with us. But you were in Turkey for, for uh, more than a week, I understand. Your, your trip took you far and wide with many projects you were considering. Yes, 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 it did. And we're going to develop that um, a project with the children now to young adults, 18 mm. to 25 years old. And we're Excellent. investing in that because that's really the next step for them. That's where they become influencers. And we want that influence to be good and godly. Mm. So we're investing in that and we're growing our activity within that area in Ankara. Mm. Um, But then we also uh, work with Iranian refugees, uh, people who have become Christians and had to leave Iran and escape to Turkey. Now, the relationship between Iran and Turkey is that Iranian people can travel to Turkey visa-free. And they can stay there uh, for up to... Uh, 90 days Hmm. okay after that three month period is over they really get no services they not entitled to anything so the ministries that we work with actually support them during that period they obviously can't go back just yet Hmm. but um, they come there they they either new Christians they've escaped the situation in Iran which is really hard line stuff Hmm. Some of the stories are quite tragic when you listen to what's happened to these people. One of my own colleagues, um, David, who traveled with us. We had David on these programs only a few weeks ago. Yes. There you go. Uh, David traveled with us. It was his first trip back since he'd left Iran. Mm. And Turkey was where he sought safe haven. Yes. And the ministry that we work with was actually the same ministry that helped him. Wow. So he was able to go back and share his own experiences of 10 years ago to the very people that are now experiencing it today. Same thing, yes. It was very emotional for him, Mm. but it was something good in that it's made him so determined now to get out there and do more. So he'll be one of our ambassadors working with us in Turkey to help these 
Iranian refugees um, build their faith, um, do the evangelism back in Iran. Many of these Iranians come there. They're more than happy to be refugees there, but many of them actually want to go back into Iran and um, share, the gospel. share the gospel. Now, that wow. comes with inherent danger, as we know. Yes, significant danger, sure. But the hearts of these people are absolutely amazing in that they're so sold out for, for Jesus mm. that they want people to know there why they became Christians and what their faith is all about and the benefits of being a Christian. Oh, look, I, I'm inspired every time I hear these stories from you, Tony, where we see Christianity in its raw form, where these people are so full with the love of God that even that fear of self-preservation or being worried about what might happen to you, because, I mean, these are dangerous circumstances they find themselves in. That perfect love that God says casts out fear, we see the evidence of that in these people They, the, to the point where they even love the people who are persecuting them, but they want to go and share the gospel and reach them, just like we've seen with Richard Wimbrandt. I mean, he was a man that was full with the love of God, even for his persecutors, and at the same time, he was fearless. He he conquered fear. I mean, you can't say he never had fear, but he actually conquered fear because of God's love shed abroad in his, in his life. Yeah. Well. Now, these these Iranian people that we're working with, they are in Turkey because it offers them safe haven, but mm. they are there building up their knowledge of their faith, building themselves up okay. and their um, level of their faith. Mm. Because from our understanding of what we've been told by them, the current regime is crumbling. Mm. And they do not want Iran turning into another Iraq. So many of these Iranians are preparing to go back into Iran to share the gospel. Mm. That to me is mind-blowing stuff because they're not running away to try to get to another country to go live elsewhere. They actually want to go back to their homeland yeah. and improve their homeland. Mm. I understand that the the boycotts and economic boycotts against them is really making huge inroads and there's a lot of poverty and there's a lack of food and, and, and finances and money. So they are struggling in that country. I actually went onto your website, vom.com.au, and I read some of this information, some of the fresh stuff that you guys post on a regular basis. So, dear listener, if you're out there and you want to hear more information about what's happening in these countries, like in Turkey and Iran, you go onto their website and you can you can read all this material. Not only that, you can also access VOM Radio. And VOM Radio quite often have interviews with people who are working in those countries as well. And you can listen to these, these half-hour programs. They are inspirational programs. So, Tony, sorry, getting back to um, to your work there. You're um, you're obviously um, helping these people get trained up and to understand and know the gospel, so that they are better equipped when they go and share their testimony and the story of Christ with the, uh, these Muslims in, in, in their country. That is correct. Not only that, we're also helping the ministries who are helping them okay. to be sustainable, because obviously it comes at huge cost to house people. Mm. And in our facility that we have in uh, Turkey. Uh, we have a safe house there, and quite ironically, when I went on to the – it's a, a four-story apartment building. Yeah. And when I went to the uh, to the roof top of this apartment building, you know, I could just about touch the speakers on the top uh, dome area of the mosque. Ah. So <laughs> what they used to call, call people to prayer every five it, times a day. Whatever exactly. Yeah. At 5 o'clock in the morning, you get disturbed with it. But the amazing thing was the safest place was right next to the mosque. Mm. So that was quite interesting. But um, so these facilities need to be sustained and we mm. help them with sustainability of it. 
we helped them with being able to feed these people. The one that we visited could host about 60 people, so that's a fair amount of people. And people generally are there for three, four months, some six months, and then they go back into Iran again. Hmm. Um, So dangerous business, yeah. But we're obviously looking to increase the work that we do there because it's becoming an ever-increasing challenge to be able to sustain the people as they're coming back and forth out of Iran. People have become tired of this whole um, debacle that's going around in the Islamic world. They've become disillusioned with their faith because of what ISIS has done and the conflict of information that's going out there between their various scholars as to what the Quran actually says. Mm. Some of them are saying it's peaceful. The other ones are saying it's a caliphate. We've got to kill people. And there's such a massive conflict. Now, because people that study the Quran, they don't study it. They parrot fashion learn it. They don't actually understand it. Mm. They're finding the answers that they're looking for in the Bible. Wow. They're finding those answers in Christ. Mm. They're not getting those answers in their Quran. And more and more people are coming to Christ. Many of the people that we met, that we interviewed, from these ex-Muslim background believer Iranians, had their own encounter with Christ. Mm. They did not need an evangelist. They did not need to watch television. They didn't need somebody else telling to them, uh, um, sharing the gospel with them. Many of them have visions. They have dreams. They have encounters with God themselves. And they come to Christ that way. That is remarkable. And I remember you sharing previously about how many people in Egypt, for example, have yeah. come to Christ through dreams and visions, whether it be of Jesus or his second coming. And we even know stories here in Australia where people who are part of a Muslim family, where the son has had dreams and he can't forget about Christ and he's become a Christian as well now. That is, that is very common in the Islamic world. We mm. find it happening a lot in the Islamic world. Yeah, that's that's remarkable. So you, you, you're you obviously basing a lot of your work in there, but you're working with some other agencies as well. And these people are, are coming in, getting trained, and then going back. Are there some people where it's too dangerous for them to go back um, to Iran? That always happens, yes, and mm. they have to base themselves in Turkey. But they become a support base or support workers for the ministries that we work with right? and help to equip the new believers that come out of Iran. Ah, okay. Because they just can't go back. It's far too dangerous. So if someone goes across the border from Iran, he comes across as a refugee, they may be able to get picked up. They may get some United Nations or some uh, Turkey government support. How long does that support last before that runs out for them? Well, what happens is when they come over and any of them seek UN help, Mm. the Turkish government, so that they're not causing problems and creating slums or anything, they post them into various cities. Right. And it's in these various cities where they encounter the mission work that we do there Mm. and they hook up with our mission. Yes. Okay. The missions that we work with have been established for 20 odd years. So many of these Iranians already know where these missions are based. And the Turkish government has been very good in assisting the missions that we work with. Okay. Because they're only working with Farsi speaking people Mm. and not Turks. The government has actually been very, very good in Turkey in that they actually give them a place to have worship. Wow. Yes. Okay. So that's that's very supportive. As long as they do not interfere with any of the local Turks, they're fine. Mm. Yes. Okay. 
Now, you also recently had a trip into China, and I understand there's some good news that you may be able to share with our listeners about some of the work that's, uh, that's happening into, uh, into China. Yes, China is becoming considerably dangerous now. The government mm. is like you can find information on the mainstream news channels about what's going on in China now. Camps for people, organ harvesting, people being imprisoned, churches being closed. This is becoming the norm in yeah. China. Surveillance societies, social credits. Oh, yes, exactly. very pervasive you and invasive. Get in, you're getting credits for dobbing people in because they have uh, some faith-based practice. Mm. So um, the challenges are becoming numerous. But we've recently received information and written documentation on what the Chinese have as what they call a Christian sinicization document, mm. which is the way the communists want the church to run. Right. And it's quite the abomination, believe me, when I say that. Mm. They've got um, one picture which I saw where they've got uh, President Jinping on one side of the cross and Mao on the, on other, the other side, side, and they deem themselves to be on the same level as our Lord Jesus Christ. So well. this is quite the abomination. Mm. They have Confucianism as the pretext to their new Chinese Bible, which they've added those Confucianism um, values okay. at the beginning of our Bible. And at the back, they have the communist um, rulings and and um, teachings on how the Bible needs to be read That's and incredible. interpreted. So, so they've added to the Word of God, and the Bible, the Word of God clearly speaks against that, doesn't it? The scary thing at the moment for us and for scholars there are that they've only done that now, but mm. where else are they going to dabble within the Word to perverse the Word also? That's right. You know? Yeah. So this is what's happening at the moment. Um the official churches or their three self churches that they have mm. have received these documents, and that is the way they are to practice. Any churches that have registered with the government, well, the same rules will apply, and this document applies also in the manner in which they need to do church. Mm. Uh, the national anthem gets sung first, the communist um, mantras are spoken first, and then the church service starts. The church service. The, the pastor's message is 15 minutes. The Communist Party representative then speaks afterwards, and his message is 30 minutes on how the Communist Party wants this done. So it's a total perversion oh, yeah, of our faith. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a full compromise, really, isn't it? Because, exactly. I mean, we understand from, from documentation that in those churches, those three self-patriotic churches, officially you're not allowed to preach the resurrection of Christ. You're not allowed to preach the second coming of Christ. And there's many other facets of our faith which we hold as fundamental that we can't present in those churches. And that's, of course, the reason for the underground churches to exist. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. So it's becoming increasingly difficult for underground churches. Many of them are being sought out and being shut down. People are imprisoned. Many people just go missing over a period of days and never reappear. Wow. There's a lot happening in China that is not good. Mm. And it's time for the world to stand up and say something about it. Yeah. We can't remain silent on this issue any longer. It's not just now a question of human rights. 
It's a question of people's faith. It's a question of people's well-being. It goes across the whole spectrum of people's lives. Mm. So, and we still do business with these people. We do business with them as if nothing happens. That's right. Yeah. And it's not the Chinese Return, people. Yeah. It's the Chinese communist government. Government. Yes. Let me be absolutely clear on that. Mm. Chinese people are good people, like everyone else. And it's not Chinese that we're targeting here. It's the communist Chinese government policies and actions that we condemn. Yes, exactly. And I mean, you're obviously working with some very brave souls, people who love the Lord again and have conquered fear because of that love, who are working under these very difficult, trying circumstances to present the gospel and to win souls for Christ. People that we work with, they are absolutely committed to God's word and mm. to getting God's word out there. The best that we can do is support them, continue to pray for them, and continue to get this information out so that we can share it with the world, so that the world knows what's going on there. Mm. That it's not just an an isolated story or an isolated incident or some fanatic trying to blow something out of proportion. This has become the norm in Chinese everyday life. Mm. This is the way it is for anybody of a faith, let alone Christians. Yes. What I like about Voice of the Martyrs and the way you present these stories, it is not an interpretation of the truth. You just present the facts as they exist. And quite often people will put a lot of spin on it. We know, for example, in China, they'll put a lot of spin on the fact that they've got an open church. They've got the three self-patriotic movement there. But it is compromised. You can't preach the gospel in it. They have the biggest printing press in the world, Amity Press, who print more Bibles than any other press around the world. But can any of the Chinese people now get their hands on the Bible? No, they can't. They can't. No, they can't. You can't even purchase a Bible online any longer. Mm. So one of our biggest moves next year into China will be getting Bibles into China. Right. Okay. That's one of the things we will do. Very important because yeah. I understand from uh, the, the biggest amount after they ask for prayer, the second one, they always ask for the Word of God. They want the Bibles. And how many Bibles, dear listener, do we have on our bookshelves? And, you know, sometimes they get, gather dust. But here are people that sometimes would share leaves, one or two leaves, you know. Maybe it'll be Matthew 1 and 2. And then when they get to the group again, they'll swap around and someone will then read Matthew 2 and 3. And there's, correct me if I'm wrong, Tony, but these people love the Word of God so much. Some of them are hand copying some of the gospel so they can have access to it themselves because they can't get their hands on a, on a, on a printed Bible. Oh, that is correct, yes. The Bible has become a very scarce commodity in China. Mm. So, dear listener, you've been listening to Souls Under the Altar, and my special guest in the studio today has been Tony Benjamin. He is the CEO for Voice of the Martyrs. And if you would like to know more information or you would like to donate to the, all these projects that they run, because, Tony, correct me if I'm wrong, there are always more projects than there's money, and you've got to determine as you sit and run these projects which ones you can support or which ones you don't, because you can't just put a few dollars in this one, a few dollars in that one if you want to do it properly. That is correct. Yes, funds mm. are always limited, and we always like to do more. And for a price of a cup of coffee, we can provide someone with a Bible. Mm. Well, that's very cheap. So, dear listener, if you uh, have been inspired by what you heard today and you want to support these projects, please go to vom.com.au and you're able to support their projects and also read about their projects and all the news. You can sign up to their uh, regular newsletter there as well. Tony, thank you very much for your time today. We pray that God will continue to bless you and your ministry around the world as you serve the persecuted church and you help Christian people here in Australia connect with those who are being persecuted. Thank you for having me on the show. Pleasure. Dear listener, we look forward to catching up with you next time. Until then, God bless.
Thank you for joining us on Souls Under the Altar. If you'd like more information about today's program or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249733456 or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you.